What's up? Welcome to the show. It's Chase, and guess who I'm with today? I'm not, you don't have to guess. Guess what? <laughs> I'm going to tell you because his name is Mr. Kevin Rose. Now, if you've been an internet fan for some time, then you know Kevin Rose because he is a multifaceted entrepreneur, started and exited several companies, been an investor at Google Ventures, uh, and overall an amazing human, longtime friend. I cannot say enough good things about Kevin, and I will confess that we have flipped the script. That's why we've got some good feedback that every once in a while when I put uh, a, a little show on here where I've been on somebody else's show that y'all like it. So I'm I'm occasionally grabbing some uh, some of those episodes for my friends where I'm, I have appeared on their shows, and that's what this is today. It's Kevin interviewing yours truly, and of course one of the hot topics is my new book. But you'll be happy to know that we cover a ton of ground, and in particular, Kevin with all of his wisdom and insight uh, in uh, technology is also a master at so many things, uh, Japanese culture, tea, uh, meditation, mindfulness, um, his, his knowledge and wisdom truly knows very few boundaries. He's an inspiration to me. And having, you know, done a bunch of podcasts for the book, honestly, this is one of my personal favorites and it's a personal favorite because in part the questions that Kevin asks also, um, it, it's just, it's raw. It's real. And Kevin, and I've been friends for a long time. So I'm able to sort of go places uh, that I might not have with uh, other interviewees. So I hope you enjoy the show. I'm going to get out of the way. I want to say a big thank you for, for Kevin uh, sharing this and allowing us to syndicate it here for you. For those of you who aren't subscribed to Kevin's show until now, I know you're going to listen to this. You're going to run right over and subscribe. Uh, please give him a shout out on the internet. He's at Kevin Rose. Um, and I think he might be some other things, but you're going to look it up. You know how to use the internet. Um, Kevin Rose, a force of nature, and I'm grateful to be on a show. I'm going to get out of the way so that y'all can listen to us talk about creativity, entrepreneurship, and building the living and the life that you love for yourself. So let's get into the show. When we've done stuff together in the past, but uh, it's it's awesome to sit down and actually talk about something that you're creating and launching, and you know you've got a new book, which is crazy. I'm I'm scared to write a book. <laughs> I think you should be. You know, having just come through it, this is why this is on audio, right, and not on video, because I look like I just wrote a book. I, yeah. just, I feel like I got run over by a truck. But no, it's a treat to be on your show. Long time listener, first time caller. Yeah, and of course you you've been on on my show on Creative Live and get to talk about a lot of the amazing stuff you've built and back with all the watch stuff and of course the mindfulness apps and the fasting apps you've, you've been just continuing to crank it out so it is it's fun to be on your show and of course you're always welcome on mine you know that we never need to talk about your next thing no i appreciate that that's awesome you know when i first heard about you i can't remember who it was that told me maybe it was david prager or someone like that that uh, had said that you had this podcast and it was really cool and it was like, a, or you were doing this video and it was like really well shot. And then I tuned in and I was like, holy crap, like this guy has it put together. Like you, you were executing it at such a high level. Do you see this book as kind of a way to really pull that creativity out of people? So the show is to me has been 10, 10 years running. It was launched before Creative Live, which we can we can add context for people who are new to my universe. Yeah, let's start at the beginning. Yeah, start at the beginning. I can add that in a moment. But I think the book that I wrote, it does 100% address like how to stand out in the marketplace and how to, you know, because I think you can't both stand out and fit in. And that's a weird thing about, I think about creativity and about like as humans, we're social animals it's sort of risky to stand out and, you know, you want to stand out, but not too much. And I think the context of the show, it was really radically different. I think it was probably Ferris who, uh, originally, or maybe, you know, it was Prager because you guys were doing revision three. Yeah. Revision three, yeah. So I had had a very, I think it was one of the first shows on the internet where that was audio and video and live all at the same time. That was 10 years ago. But I think if, you know, if we use that as a jumping off point of just continuing to create and put new and interesting things out in the world. If we go back to the 
the premise of the book is pretty simple. The book's called Creative Calling, and it sort of has a, a three-point argument to it, which is super basic. And then, of course, we do uh, go in-depth on a lot of it. And the first, and I think most important one, is that there's creativity inside of every person. So right now, you might be, you know, you're a software engineer, and you may or may not acknowledge that that is wildly creative, right? Insanely creative, because you've got math, and, and you're putting together a vision and, and whatnot. But there's a lot of folks... I think people who are already identify with uh, as a creator, this book is written for you because this is about you and your people and, and it's been a, a part of your belief system and the way you see the world. But it's also for this, there's a whole universe of what I call creative curious people. And, and I ask you to believe fundamentally that creativity is inside of every person. And all you have to do, right, is go to any first grade classroom. Who wants to come to the front of the room and draw me a picture? How many hands goes up? Every hand goes up. The kids are like hopping on their backs yeah. to come to the front. And, and then if you ask that same question of a sixth grade classroom, half as many, and then certainly in high school, half as many again. And, and so creativity is something that's sort of trained out of us rather than something that is given to some and not to others. So creativity is inside of every person. That's point one. Point two is that creativity is a muscle. It's a habit, not a skill. It's a way of operating. And it isn't a thing that some people have it and some people don't. I think Maya Angelou said it best. It's, it's a infinite resource. The more you use, the more you get. And if you put it in the context of a muscle, right, it's too, totally obvious that when you use something more, it gets stronger. And so, of course, by extension, if you believe one, everyone's creative. You believe two, and I'm, I don't think these are huge leaps, right? Thing two is that, okay, if you're more creative on a regular basis, then you're going to have more creativity at your disposal. And Thing three is, and here's the kicker, right? If we're creating on a regular basis in small daily ways, whether that's what you do at work, writing code, or you come home, you make your family a beautiful meal. I think the way you travel, Kevin, is beautiful. You travel really intentionally and you, you know, dine and consume a certain way and, and seek travel. And, and so it's these small daily creative acts done with intention. It's the same exact muscle as the muscle we use to create our life. And it's just creativity at a different scale. So yes, this book will help you uncork your creative talents and connect with a really important part of you. But it's also about crafting the arc of your life. Mm -hmm. That is where this book is radically different than other books about creativity. And that's honestly why I wrote it. I've read, I think, most all of the books, but being a lifelong creator or identifying as one myself, I've read all, and I, and I love them. I got a lot out of them, but they were very pretentious. And it was mostly like, you know, creativity is you have to wear the beret and move to Paris and you have to get a new set of friends and surround yourself with your, your perfect art. And you're, and I'm trying, it's anything but that I'm trying to make this so practical and draw a much bigger picture around creativity. Creativity is not art. Creativity is the combining of any new thing to form something new and useful. And that's why it qualifies. If you're baking a cake, making a meal, building a business, wildly creative. So if we can expand the definition of creativity and show that it's this thing that differentiates us from every other species on the planet, I think we've got something here. In a perfect world, when someone picks up this book at, at the bookstore and they're like, okay, this looks interesting to me, they take it home, they read it. What are they looking to get out of it? Like, what do you want to have happen? So, you know, five years from now, people look back and say like, this really moved X in a, in a certain way. I do believe it serves multiple purposes, but the key thing to take away from is that you have agency over your life. We live in a culture where there's so many shoulds, right? There's, you should do this, you should be like that. You need to go to the school, you need to have this job, make this much money, get these kinds of grades, live this life, and don't, don't mess it up, don't take risks, or, or just be really careful with the risks. And, and here's a safe path, and then over there would be a mm -hmm. risky path. And I'm trying to boil all that down and say, look, our creative capacity is the most powerful attribute that we have as humans like that and, and maybe love, but I'm putting creativity on the fundamental level, the same as like exercise and nutrition. It's not just a nice to have, it's a requirement. So if you read this book, the goal will be that you will, you will acknowledge that you are a creating machine. And that's basically the a superpower that we have. And if you can learn to harness that superpower, it's in that way that anything is possible. And the way that I, I discovered this is deconstructing my own life and, you know, through my podcast and long running show that we talked about at the open of the open of this conversation, having talked to hundreds and hundreds of the world's top performers, 
creators, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, designers, all that. The common thread is that they are aware that they are creative. They put that creativity to use in small ways. And it's that is actually the lens that they use to build these amazing lives. And if you can think of it in those terms, this all the same stuff is available to everyone. We've just been sold a lie that you're either creative or you're not, and that you have to do this long list of things in order to be sort of socially acceptable. So it's not about getting a different set of friends. It's not about the wearing a beret. It's not about starting from scratch this this an oil painting practice just so you can check the box of being creative. Although that would help, mm -hmm. but it's not about any of those things. It's, you know, it, essentially life isn't about finding fulfillment and success. It's about creating it. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious what, um, that process looks like. Cause you know, being a uh, you know, technology investor and, you know, an entrepreneur I, I've had, and I'm sure you have as well, just a ton of people come up to you and pitch you ideas. Mm -hmm. And I would say that when I talk to people about, you know, their ideas and what they want to build. I think there's a few different camps. One is definitely, I have this idea, but I'm looking for validation. And I have been beaten down enough to where I just want to take the safe path because I know being a dentist is always going to pay me X amount of dollars per year. And that's what my dad told me to do. And that's what they choose, even though they have in the back of their mind, these hopes and dreams and, you know, wouldn't it be great if, but they never kind of execute on it. And then one step further down the chain is that person that, that you mentioned that just believes there is no creativity in me. I'm just not that type of person. I have other skills. You know, I'm curious if you start at the very bottom, someone that just absolutely believes in is listening to this and is like, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Like, how do you start to build that muscle that you're talking about? Sadly, it's a pretty popular position. I was with someone last night like, yeah, you know, I'm the business side. I'm like, dude, I've been building businesses for the last like 20 years and it's the most creative stuff I've ever done because there's, it's so dynamic. There's so many inputs and you're making decisions all the time to do this or to that, or put those, do these two things together and make a product that does this and not that. Like all those are wildly creative decisions. And so my, you know, my first employee to them is like, first of all, let's re redefine creativity because if you ask that person, and I've done this thousands of times around the world, everyone equates creativity to just art. And to be clear, art is a really popular and well-known subset of creativity. And I don't think it's that big of a leap to start saying, oh, no, I guess I do see how, you know, me crafting a business is really creative or especially like writing code. Like I'm an engineer. I, I build things like, okay, <laughs> like building is wildly creative. If you just like walked up and started hammering things together and you thought you'd end up with a house, you're mistaken, right? There's a plan, there's an approach, there's a vision and you're executing against that. So to, for that person, I would say, you know, redefine creativity and then I would tell, probably tell that person the story of my mom and my mom at about 65 years old, when the iPhone first came out, I had launched an app that went on to become app of the year. It was the first photo app that allowed you to take a picture, add a cool effect, and then share it to social networks, was, you know, a year and a half or so before Instagram. And it wasn't just like a good concept. It was the app of the year in the, in the Apple app store. And I put it in her hand with a, you know, the iPhone one or the iPhone two, maybe. And my mom was a person who had not identified as creative. She was the business person. She, you know, was very practically oriented to use common vernacular and was totally cool with that. She's like, yeah, it's fine. And with no extra time, she didn't have to completely blow up her schedule, didn't have to move to Paris or start oil painting or any of the cliches. I just say, hey, you know, start, start, you know, taking some pictures. Here's how you do it. And so she started taking pictures on her walk. She walked every day at lunch when she was at work and she started sharing those with her friends. And in a matter of weeks, not months, not years, in a matter of weeks, she started being recognized as like the most creative friend in her friend group. And, and here's the kicker is that I watched her, I watched it change how she approached cooking because she loves to cook. I watched how it affected that. I watched it change how she dressed, how she carried herself in the world, even her travel. She went from just being someone who wanted to take the same vacations to now they're starting to go to like China and Africa. And, and so I watched it, it felt like overnight relative to a 65 year old person's life, you just add a layer of richness. And it was literally through realizing that, wait a minute, I'm creating these pictures every day. 
this whole, this whole life that I have is now my canvas. And if you can get someone who doesn't believe to just, and those are not huge leaps, right? I'm not asking you to quit your day job or sacrifice anything really. I'm suggesting that just by adding the practice of cooking a, a meal that you probably have the same way you've cooked it every year for the, or every day for the past, you know, 10 years or whatever, you've got your, get your, your, your old spaghetti sauce recipe. Well, try changing it up. And when you do that change up, you're like, oh, cool. this was good. This was bad. You start performing experiments. And I know from personal experience and talking to thousands of people that you start to approach it differently and it affects other areas of your life. So to that person, I would give them that advice. I know that, you know, you and I have tried so many different things in, in life. And I think that it's, it is just really adds this, like this spice and excitement, even when it's, it's something you fail at. It, it just, for me, it's, it, it feels so good to be experimenting with something new. And so that's why I'm always trying out different things because I, I know that in the end, uh, you know, lifelong learning is really kind of where it's at. It, it, it just enriches so many different aspects of life. 100% agree. You, you also touched on something just a second ago about like, you know, sort of choosing this over something else. And it's, to me, it's fascinating. Everybody, like we've all had this, these inputs that say, oh, well, you shouldn't do that. That's really risky. And a lot of people, especially, you know, in your audience, identify in the entrepreneurial universe and it sounds risky to start a new business and to do all these things. And of course, what's extra hard is when these inputs come from people you love, people you trust, your parents, your mentor, your peers, your career counselor, if you're younger, like, and they're all saying, oh gosh, I wouldn't do that. That's risky. You want to try and make it as a musician? Oh my gosh, why would you do that? If you could just take this safe path, and I put that in air quotes, the safe path over here, everything is going to be much better. But here's the thing. There's actually, there's two things. One, the people are giving you advice and they love you very much. But what they're trying to do in a very loving, caring way is they just want you to be safe. And the irony is that them telling you or giving you this feedback to do the quote safe thing is arguably the riskiest thing that they could be telling you to do and that you could do because following the dreams that somebody else had for you to play it safe in this one precious life. That is that that's terrifying to me because just fast forward to the number one concern of the dying, which is that they live the life that other people wanted rather than the one that they chose for themselves. And to me that it's a powerful combination when you start, it's like, Oh, of course your parents will say this or your career counselor will have you do this and this and this, but you know, you know, that's, I think point one, point two on that same topic is so many of the things that used to be loaded with risk now have like all kinds of downside protection. There's that old myth that of the starving artist, or there's the myth of the entrepreneur who goes all in, bets it all on red takes the second mortgage. And I'm not advocating any of that. In fact, if you talk to any really successful entrepreneur, like, you know, Richard Branson's an investor in creative live, a mentor. He's like, he's always protecting the downside. He's always betting what he can afford to bet. And it sort of rebuffs to this like all in mentality because you can, it's just like iteration and product development. You know, it's the people who end up being successful. They tinker, they play, they invent. And you know what? A hundred percent of the time they start small. They start with one thing. If you want to, you want to, you're an engineer and you want to own a cafe someday. And this is crazy dream that all your friends are talking. You don't have to like stop being an engineer, go take out a lease down the corner there in Portland and start doing stuff. You have no idea how to do the first step. Why don't you start baking some scones? See how you like it. Why don't you start getting some, like right. getting some single origin blue bottle coffee and trying to, you know, create the best cup of coffee you can and have, friends over for brunch every Sunday morning for the, you know, all your, your friends and do that for, for, you know, every Sunday for 10 Sundays. And how's that feel? And then like, that's how the best ideas in life come. I have a big topic in the book about action over intellect. You're not going to think your way out of any of that. You have to start, start taking action. And I just recommend you do it in small ways that bring you joy and delight. Right. And they, like you to your point though, they also give you a sense of what you're getting into before you jump in both feet. You know, like I, I was actually having this conversation. It's crazy. Just yesterday with my sister, she is really into, uh, the service called Poshmark where it's a clothing, like used clothing swapping service for people. And 
she loves like going out and finding these clothes and like recycling them and making sure they get, you know, second hunt and third homes. And she was like, I'm just going to open my own shop, my own shop in, in Portland. And I'm going to, you know, just focus on like designer type, you know, recycled clothes. And I was like, Carrie, that's awesome. But like, do you know that, like, have you, why don't you go work at the shop for a few months, you know, to like see what, how you like that before you actually jump in and, and yeah. go all in on something that, that big. And I, I think that's, uh, you know, just like this idea of just testing the waters in a very controlled and measurable way is, is a really smart one. And you learn so much in the process, right? To me, that's, that's a really important and crystal clear way of applying the desire that you have to venture out with the sort of safety of experimentation and, you know, mitigating risk like that that's super exciting that that exists. And what, you know, in part why I wrote the book is because that is not at all the cultural narrative, right? You think entrepreneur and how many times you've been interviewed a million times by the tech press and daytime television. They're like, Kevin Rose, you know, risk taker bets it all and goes all in. And you're like, no, I, I, <laughs> I did a prototype and I got my, you know, my, mailing list of 50,000 people playing around with it. It cost me a hundred grand or 50 grand or 20 grand. And I'm learning. This is not the dominant cultural narrative. The one that your sister's buying into is largely not how it's done. Right. Yeah. It's so true. I'm really curious because you, you got me excited when you mentioned that, like building that muscle, that creative muscle and that more tinkering more in creativity leads to kind of bigger creative outcomes. Like what, what do people have to do I mean, I get to go and do and, and make a scone for the first time, but like, are there other very specific things that you'd recommend people do creatively to kind of get the, get the juices flowing if, if that is even a thing? This to me is also like, it's a joy to talk about. Why I get charged up around this is everybody, and this is why the book is called Creative Calling. It's not like a calling back to your pipe cleaners and popsicle sticks from, you know, third grade. Everybody has something, they, they have this calling and it's usually, and this is true for everybody. This is the part, it's like the thing that no one's talking about, the elephant in the room. We all have what we're doing and then we all have this other thing. This is a dream that we were taught to park or ignore or parse out or hide or be shameful of. And, yes, you know, to me, the, that you know, part of the ethos of the book and, and I think it's, it's available to everyone is it doesn't actually have to be that you don't have to, to recede away from that thing and bury it. In fact, as soon as you start to listen to it and tap into it in the way that we were talking about with your sister or the cafe owner, like something happens when you start to, to, to brush up against your, mm -hmm. your dream, maybe that you haven't told anyone. And even in just the most casual way, something cool happens and it, life starts to happen for you rather than to you. You have energy in a way that you didn't before. It's so true. Yeah. That is a massive point. When I work on a project that I'm really passionate about and it's something that, you know, is not my day to day, but it's like a little thing on the side that I just really want to, all of a sudden this energy just appears out of nowhere. And those nights and weekends that you're working, they don't feel like work, you know, they, they're just yeah. filled, with, filled with energy. Again, this is the cool thing that and why the book had to be written and everything is hiding in plain sight. There's no, like, this is not about like having to do a 180 on everything in your life. This is about everything is right in front of you. And what we're really going to do is we're just going to like lift up the, <laughs> lift up the covers and look at it and say, Oh my God, you're right there. And everyone to, you know, remember your question was like, what, what can people do? And what I'm asking you to do is look at that thing and acknowledge it. And you don't have to, you know, again, go all in, do all that stuff. But I want, what I want you to do and is the, the, me the metaphor I use, if that's your calling and you can sometimes, it's never like, Hey, Kevin, we need you to come over here and do the thing you want to do. It's like, what if we did this? What if I actually had the courage or because I, you know, I've got three kids and a mortgage and I've got all these, these, you know, needs and priorities above it. But Let's just put that, you know, suspend that for just a second. And what if I could do that thing? What I'm trying to do you do, listen to that thing and then start walking towards it. As soon as you start walking towards it, you're on the, the metaphor I use in the book is you're on this path. 
And then that's the energy that you just described feeling. And again, I've spent time with <laughs> literally across Creative Life, for example, millions of creators. And I know this to be true. This is true for me. And it's been true for millions of other people that this is, you just start getting jazzed. And it doesn't mean that you have to do anything else with your life. You just start paying attention to this thing, moving towards it in ways that you can do. And when you start to feel that and life starts to happen for you rather than to you, not only does that, you know, do you make progress on toward that thing that you, toward which you aspire, maybe even still just a whimsical little dream in the, in the corner, but it's the combination of the energy that you feel, you see that just dabbling with it is possible. And here's a sort of a macro, the way I like to look at this is everybody wants a map, right? We, a map is safe. It tells us how to get to where we're going. And a map, if you just deconstruct what a map is for a second, it's like, or in, in this life journey, it's like red dot, you are here, dash, 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 dash. Here's, I go over the river and through the woods and across the valley here. And then I get to my destination over here and that's a red X. And we all want a map. But the reality is that we're sold a map. If you go to this school, go to this college, get these grades, you can have this job. And we're prescribed this dotted line. And how often is that dotted line stay true in those situations? virtually never, right? So we're sold this, we're sold the map, but all we ever really have in life is a compass. Right. Well, and the problem is that when you have your eye on the X, you're thinking that at some future point in time, I will be happy. I will be satisfied. I'll be fulfilled. I will make it. And you're not enjoying the journey at that point. And all we really have is the journey. It's such, it's such a uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Like you're, you're not enjoying the rainbow. You're just looking for the gold, you know? It's a, a really a horrible thing because then you wake up and especially if the, the pot of gold moves or, you know, it's like then you're just devastated and you missed out on all of life. Not only is that true, but it actually gets in the way of, and this might be an obvious sort of what precipitates from that, it, it also gets in the way of experiencing the joy and the connection and all those things that we're all seeking in life right now, especially because information is moving so quickly and all the other trappings of modern culture, but it alienates us. And the, the, the stuff that I'm talking about, it grounds us, it gives us meaning, and it connects us to our lives and the lives of people around us who are doing the things that we want to be doing. And you get closer to those things and it feels better. So it's sort of this, like, it's a little bit of a, a medicine. And the cool thing is this is actual progress. If you just reinstate the map analogy here for a second, we're sold a map. It doesn't actually exist. What we really all have is a compass. Just so happens the compass isn't out there anywhere. The compass is inside. And there's this, that's that calling metaphor. It's like when you can start to listen to what your true North is. And then when you take action against that true North, sure new things come up because it, you know, a compass in real life is like, okay, I got to go over that hill and you get to the top of the hill and you look down and you're like, oh my God, there's a lake there. And you're like, I love swimming. Oh my God, who knew? Or I can go around this lake. It's really easy and small. And there's this valley over here. So you start to fall and, and there's this sort of trust that you develop in the process of following your intuition that is hugely material. So again, your macro question, whatever, five minutes ago was like, what do people do? Start moving towards these things, have no expectations, but watch your joy factor go up, your engagement, your connection with yourself, and this, this thing that you always had inside of you. We all have these things that we're supposed to be doing that we're not doing, and we've all got a long list of reasons why. I'm saying park some of those reasons, explore it in small, lightweight ways, and if I'm wrong, return the book, I'll buy it back because I don't have any experience with people saying, nah, never found it because it's the act of doing and exploring where you actually come across these things. And regardless if your dream is to do what your sister was projecting or to the cafe thing that we were talking about or building a business, you learn something in the process and you realize when you get to a certain crossroad, like, Hey, I don't have any joy for this anymore. But what did I learn in the process is that I can walk toward anything, learn, grow, connect, and the cool thing is that this is what the, the people that you look up to, and it doesn't have to be somebody famous on the internet or Richard Branson or Tim Ferriss or Brene Brown. It can be your neighbor who lives in amazing integrity and has an amazing garden or whatever. You start to know that 
oh, that's all they're doing. You're like, I wish I could do that because they are so passionate and their lives are full of joy and richness and connection. And we've all got our own shit. But to be crystal clear, the people in life who actually we aspire to or engage us or in, in motivate us or from whom we learn, this is, I've deconstructed it. This is what they're doing. Well, can you give me some examples? Like what are some real like tactical examples in the book that you give people that they can walk away with or they can try right now? Well, a couple different things in the book. It does, I think the, the, it sets a pretty high bar for, uh, it's ambitious in the sense that it paints this really broad, expanded view of creativity and how it powers everything we do. And then it does get super, super tactical down to things that are known creativity stimulant. These are habits, right? These are things that are known creativity stimulators and known things that zap our creativity. And without going too far in the weeds there, I think it's really important to establish that this, I've organized the book in, into four parts and it's the, the system I, I, it's called idea, I D E A. And it just so happens that in deconstructing my own successes uh, and looking at the failures and, and doing the same thing with other people, which is essentially what you're asking is this is both a process for any creative project, like building an app or baking a cake or building a business, but it's also a roadmap for our lives. And again, you remember from earlier, the connection, I believe between those two things. And, and so the acronym goes like this. I is for imagine all the, the most you know, successful and, and fulfilled, I would add creators and entrepreneurs of our time. They have learned how to take these constraints that culture places on us for what's possible with the product or your life or your business or whatever. Oh, I can't do this because X, Y, and Z, these people have managed to escape that thinking. And to me, this is essential for creating the vision for anything. So I walked through a handful of ways that you can break down some of these typical trappings and things that keep us thinking small. So imagine what's possible. The next thing that people do is that are successful is they design a set of habits and practices that are going to get them there. Like if you want to write a book, I don't know anybody who knows any, any way other than doing it is just sitting down and doing the work. But then you say, well, how do I do it? I got the kids. I got to do this. Look at if you wrote for 30 to 45 minutes or 30 minutes to an hour every morning, you get up just earlier than, than you normally do even before the kids get up. And this is not something you need to sustain forever. But if you just did this for a year and you wrote 500 words a day for a year, that is a lot of words. So this is true for anything. And if you're trying to get stronger in the gym or get, get become a better writer or, you know, build that cafe, you're designing a set of behaviors that if you did these behaviors, you would either achieve your goal or get closer to it. The third one is you're just executing against that vision. So it feels a little bit boring, but we all have these ways of, of avoiding doing the work. So there's a bunch of tactical things that I've got in the book about how to do that. And the last one to me is totally critical, way overlooked for the success of any project, or I'll even say this, dare I say it, any life is the acronym, the letter here I have is A, and that's Amplify. And what Amplify really stands for is community. And we are social animals, okay? It doesn't matter if you identify as an introvert or an extrovert or all of those things, you are a social animal. And if a, a baby, for example, is not held after they're born for some meaningful amount of time, if there isn't a human connection, a baby will die because we're, we're connected. Isolation, the science is pretty clear, is actually more harmful to our health than smoking. So when you start to think that we're these social animals and that community matters, I can then get you to think about, okay, well, if I'm going to do anything, right, anything, if it's from a presentation at work to that cafe, I need people. I need people to help me. I need people to believe in me. I need people to buy my stuff. And when you think about it as this abstract thing, it sounds hard, but I'm trying to get you to think about it in a really concrete way, which is around community. There's two ways to handle community. One is that you can join existing communities in there. A few, that's the cool thing about the internet, right? Go back to Kevin Kelly's post, a thousand true fans. You don't need to have a million followers on any social platform. You need a handful of people who care deeply about your work. There are communities out there that you can join. If you are a watch freak, like somebody I know, and you love watches, how many forums and communities and whatnot are there for watches, Kevin? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's dozens of ones with thousands, tens of thousands of people. It's crazy. Yeah. 
And so by joining these communities, what you're really doing is learning, you're spending time around like-minded people. And if you're the average, the five people you spend the most time with, and you want to pursue this, you've listened to your calling and you start running at it, then it's so critical for the success of anything. And, and, you know, the other type of community, if there's ones that are out there that you can join is the one that you start to build around your own vision, your own dream, your own work. And it's through this combination, this sort of alchemy of community, which is not really well understood, but that I go deep into in the book, you start to basically create a fertile ground for you to grow and learn and for a place for your ideas to land, which this is again, the missing piece of any equation. Yeah. That's what creates both success because there's a people, a, a group of people ready to get your work and the thing we're all missing, which is fulfillment and connection. Yeah. hundred percent. Like I, th- this is huge finding, finding your audience really. Like how did you first get started and how did you find a place for, you know, when you were thinking about first in, uh, launching your very first project, like what was your process there? I was on a path that everybody else wanted for me. I was okay. And where I came from, I came from a lower middle-class family and it's like, Hey, if you're smart and hardworking, you should be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. So I pursued that because, and then, you know, we all do these things. This is part of the, that path part I was getting at earlier. And I got a hundred thousand dollars in student debt, 10 years off track doing everything that everybody else wanted. When I finally was real to myself and it came out through a bunch of trauma, I had someone very close to me die. I was given his cameras and I became enamored with and passionate about photography, but it stood directly in contrast with everything else everybody else wanted for me. I stepped onto that path and started pursuing it. And all of the same things that I just talked about, or, or we talked about with energy and fulfillment and connection, all that started sort of manifesting. And when, as we already covered, when you're pursuing something that you love at first as a hobby, and then as it it gets, it may or may not get more serious, just to be crystal clear, I didn't know enough about photography to know that the way you were supposed to do it was, well, you went to photography school and then you worked for someone else who was a pro and you assisted for them. And that's how you, you know, you cut your teeth in the biz and that's how you quote paid your dues. And I was so ignorant about photography that I didn't know how to do or didn't even know that that was a thing. And I was just taking pictures because I loved it. And you know what? I I managed to make it work in my own weird, quirky way. I started getting hired and paid to do the work that people who had way more experience than I did. Because I'd stepped on that path and was so passionate, my learning was just extra fast. And this is the thing that people aren't told is that there's a million paths nowadays to get in. There used to just be a series of gatekeepers and you had to do A and B and C in order to be hanging in a, in a gallery or a museum, or you had to do A, B and C. And if you wanted to be, um, to have your startup funded and how many ways are there to get startups funded nowadays? There's a zillion and you know, you maybe don't need to get funding, but there's crowdsourcing. There's, you know, there's 50 different options that exist today that didn't before. And the cool thing about there being a thousand paths and about there not being gatekeepers relative to how that was 10 years ago. When I like did this really imperfect, really unplanned, really imprecise, starting to take action, the next step became clear to me. And the next step became clear after that. And pretty soon I was doing the thing that I had aspired to be doing, you know, just a couple of years before with really with no formal training and of course, imposter syndrome is going crazy. Like, how the hell did you get here? How are you getting paid to travel the world with your friends and shoot them skiing and snowboarding for magazines? But what happens is it doesn't matter. Nobody cares how you got there when you're there. You're just there. And to me, that is the sort of the Trojan horse of this book is the distance between where you are right now and where you want to be. It might be far you know, may, you know, go back to the 10,000 hours or I want to be an amazing computer programmer. I want to fill in the blank. It may be 10,000 hours away or five years or whatever. And for me, it was a couple year journey, but you know how many decisions away it was like two. And that's incredibly empowering to me. It's like, sure, it's going to be a five year journey, but all I have to change in my life are two things. One, maybe a willingness to be slightly uncomfortable and have some hard conversations with people that I love. And two, start putting some of these things, these very basic things 
into practice, like carving time out every day to do the thing that you love. Maybe it starts out as a side hustle. And if you're two decisions away from a completely different life, that is a whole new ballgame. And that's basically how I became at first, you know, a photographer. And and the cool thing happens when you actually do this one time, and you know this maybe better than anybody I know, Kevin, like you've had this amazing and transformative, super dynamic career. But when you do it once, what happens? You're like, huh, not only did I like how that worked, but I bet I can do it again. And the same is true with me. Like I figured out I mastered photography and you know became one of the top commercial guys in the world. And then you're like, wait a minute, if I can figure that out from scratch, what else could I do? And so yeah. for me, I started tapping into entrepreneurship. And if you look at your arc, like <laughs> creator, uh, designer, creator, entrepreneur, oh my gosh, now I'm an investor. Now I'm back to being an entrepreneur. And now I'm, you know, I'm a p- passionate about tea and coffee. And, you know, you just like, this is the richness that I'm talking about, which is as soon as you do it once, you listen to that little voice inside your head, you run at it. This is, you are the perfect example, Kevin, of it uncorking your life. And it was just through small creative acts over and over that you've done it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a combination of not only being able to kind of run at it, but also realizing, not seeing your stumbles as that are really these things that weigh on you, but really just understanding that that is the process that every single mm-hmm. person goes through. And it's just acknowledging that you've learned something new. Yeah. And I, I would say that like, if I look back on my career of all the things that I've, I've made and launched, like most of them don't exist today. I would say probably 70% of the stuff I've ever built is like, you know, in terms of like products that people use don't exist and they're not out there. So I've failed more than I have succeeded. But, you know, I've always learned something and it's always kind of, I've used that as fuel to say, well, now I have that knowledge. And that is just makes me a stronger person with a, a larger kind of tool chest and and depth of knowledge so that I won't make the same mistake going forward. And if you can frame it like that in your brain, then, you know, you can go on to do anything you want. There's no fear anymore, which I think is is huge. For me, it's always been about understanding what, what do you as a person really need out of life to feel content and and be happy. And I don't need to live in in a kind of extravagant house. I mean I'm I'm very fortunate in that I I'm living where I want to today and I and and those things have worked out but that's not always been the case. And so I I know that for me to be happy really what it comes down to is having a solid relationship with my my wife. I think that's very very important. But I really respect the hell out of cultures that can understand that you don't need to tie happiness to extreme wealth. It's one of the reasons why I love Japan so much. You know, I, I was it was there not too long ago, and I went to this this coffee shop where this uh, gentleman in his seventies has been aging coffee beans for 40, 30, 40 years now, um, and he does this really kind of awesome, like funky aged coffee that you would you've never tried unless you've been there. And you know, it's six, seven dollars a cup, and he has ten seats in the restaurant or in the in the little coffee bar and a little roaster. And, you know, I would say U.S. dollars wise, I mean, the cafe probably pulls in three, four hundred dollars a day, you know, and the guy is completely content and takes 10 to 15 minutes to pour, do a pour over for a single cup of coffee. And it is what he is known for and respected for. And it's like that it's so amazing that people can come together and say, I appreciate you for this act, this skill, this thing that you have done that only you do in this unique, special way. And that as a person, you can feel content with that and go to bed and you're not living a luxurious life, but you are fulfilling kind of your dreams. And I wish that we could get to a place where it is about fulfilling your dreams and not so much about am I going to have that billion dollar exit or IPO or whatever it may be? Because it seems that no, most people aren't going to ever get there. And, and, and if that is what you have in mind that is going to make you happy, you're missing out on that, the day-to-day fulfillment that is life. I thoroughly align with what you talked about. And I think to me that it's so, um, it, let's go back to that point that I made earlier about the, when people are on their deathbed. 
the number one <laughs> attribute, uh, the number one thing, the number one concern, the fear, the sadness for people who are dying is that they took too many inputs from all those other sources that you just talked about. And then if you can think about that and think about this list of shoulds, we should do all these things or the billion dollar accident or what's been celebrated, you know, the, the IPO versus the cup of coffee in, in um, Japan. It seems so obvious that a very valuable, worthwhile way to spend time is to learn to channel what you actually mean, what you actually want out of this life, not in a, only in a selfish way, but in the way of like putting your oxygen mask on before assisting other passengers sort of way that you, mm -hmm. you just have so much more opportunity. And so why then are we not taught to think like this, to walk like this, to talk like this? And we don't have to sort of deconstruct popular culture to know that that's not going away anytime soon, right? The list of shoulds and why you ought to do this and must do that and could never do that. That would be far too risky if you had kids kind of universe. And if you can learn to, learn to tune those things out and attune to that inner calling that you all, that we all have, to me, it's like that uncorks the richest of life. And like, there's a, side benefit to when you actually do that. And just look at the way that you look at that man in Japan right now. When you do these things and when you are sort of courageous and brave and not, I'm not talking doing this in a haphazard, like unthoughtful way, but when you do it in a thoughtful way, what happens? People respect the hell out of that. People want to help you. People show up mm -hmm. and this combination is sort of like this flywheel. You start to have more energy. Other people like right now, maybe that guy in, in Japan is like, you know, I met this guy, Kevin. He came in every day. He was in our small town. He sat here and I poured him cup of coffee after cup of coffee. And, you know, there's this like people show up for you and they want to help. And to me, this sort of flywheel is the secret that I'm, this is the Trojan horse of the book that I'm trying to uncover here. I couched in creativity because I think it's super fundamental to all these things. You have to realize that you can create all this opportunity for yourself, that you have agency. But what it really is, is about creating. It's not like, it's not making a masterpiece out of a piece of art. It's making a masterpiece of your life. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that, that alone will allow you to, to really kind of stand out in a unique way. If you just kind of yeah. embrace your own uniqueness, it's when you try and copy that things don't really work out, right? And I, what would you say is, you know, one of the things I was, I was pulled into, I saw it was a, your, your third chapter, like you stand out and you also have this like, you know, you university chapter as well. Like what, what are the, 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 some of the ways that, that people can really make sure that what they're going to offer the world, what they're going to do, you mentioned like, you know, making a scone earlier. Like making a scone, you know, lots of people make scones. <laughs> What's the one thing, like, how can you make sure that your idea and your thing that you're going to launch the world is unique enough and special enough to, to warrant, you know, pursuing? I'm going to use your own medicine against you here. How many, how many people make coffee? No, I get it. I, <laughs> that guy's coffee, he had the foresight 40 years ago to think, Hey, I'm going to do something different. Everybody, you know, is roasting fresh coffee beans. I'm going to save mine and I'm going to save them in a way that they can age. You know, that that's crazy. Yeah. Like that wasn't being done. So that was unique and different. And now he's, Not you know, years later, he's making coffee, but okay, cool. And I, I think the reality is that only you have the combination of your DNA and the set of experiences that you've had. And this is why, you know, in that chapter, stand out. The, the only way that you can truly stand out is by acknowledging the uniqueness of your own experience and doubling down on that. And this is why I talk to, you know, entrepreneurs all the time. And they're like, oh, this is a great market opportunity. And that's great. And I'm like, okay, sure, you can chase a great market opportunity. But I'm telling you, if it does not have something that is deeply, you're deeply connected to, when shit gets hard, and it will, I 100% promise you, yeah. it will, you are not going to have the stomach to, to push forward if it's just another market opportunity. And so, That's right. again, this is one of the things I think is so cool about this whole world is that the answers, we've been sold this idea that the answers are out there. And we go, the whole first arc of our life, we go looking for those and we're acquiring things and skills and knowledge to 
to find the thing that's out there. And at some point there's a flip. If you're lucky, there's a flip. And what you flip to is you're like, oh my God, the answers were here all along. And that is, for example, you understanding the difference through building all these sorts of businesses and connecting with all these entrepreneurs that what makes you happy is actually super simple and it's, it's right here. So I believe um, that the, the ability to go back to your question about how, how do you stand out, like it's by being unapologetically you that you, that's how you tap into that thing. And that, that has everything to do with what was that thing? We've all had this experience, right? Of where life was working for us. And if you look back, if it was, whether it was a year or some season of your life or a moment or a team you were on or whatever, if you can just deconstruct what was happening there, it's pretty easy to actually go back to that. And, and, you know, if you don't have that, or you don't have a really good representation of it, like, what are you curious about? usually those things will get you to the same place, your curiosity or those things in your past that used to sort of fire you up. And if you're, you know, the fact that this is, this is listening to yourself, you, by, by pursuing that calling, hearing that calling, walking that path, that is the way that you become uniquely you. And in the process of doing that, you stand out, not in a, not in an egregious, like crazy sort of way, but in your way, whatever that is, you know, whatever that is for you, your own set of experiences is the thing that you're seeking. It's just so bad that we spend so much time walking around seeking all other thing. And the answers are right there in front of us hiding in plain sight. Yeah. I, I love what you said about being unapologetically you. I, I think that I wrote down three things as you were just talking right there. Um, uh, being unapologetically you, finding the things that you personally are so passionate about that it's like you can't stop thinking about it. And then to your point, uh, I don't think we've talked about on the show, but on, in chapter six, you say, do your best work, just executing at the highest level possible for what you're doing uh, and doing your best work. And that is in a, in a kind of commodity driven world that we live in today, where Amazon has knockoffs of every single product that's out there. People are starting to kind of look for high quality work and people that are still doing it the, you know, the old way, you know, quote unquote. And I think that if you do, if you combine those things of having it being uniquely yours, something you're really passionate about and doing it at the highest level, like it's pretty hard to fail at that point. It is. And this is, again, this, let's go back to like cultural assessment. This is a perfect full circle moment. Let's go back to cultural assessment of risk. So someone is telling you that doing that thing, becoming that, you know, coffee roaster in Japan and doing the thing, they're telling you how risky that is, but the alternatives that they're giving you are the most generic, the most average, the most right down the middle that exist. And let's uncork that just for a second. What is average? That is, that is literally the sum of all of the things divided by the number of things. It is right down the middle and it is what is expected. It is like that's the opposite of standing out. That is the commodification or commoditization of everything. And of course, the people who you, who you love and who love you, they're recommending these things because they know how to quantify them. They, they know how to qualify it. They can put it in a book. They can say that enough people have not died becoming fill in the blank accountant or project manager or whatever we get prescribed to be from our parents or career counselors. And so that's what they'll recommend for you. Here's the biggest problem that people have not seen coming and you know it. And I know it, the things where there is a perfect blueprint for like becoming a doctor, becoming, you know, an x-ray technician, becoming a, you know, fill in the blank where there is a blueprint for these days, you can start to clone and copy that with software. And when you can, when there's no creativity present and you can clone and copy it with software, you can automate it. And when you can automate it, the job goes away. And that's the reason why x-ray technicians that were looking for cancer aren't as good as AI that looks for cancer looking at the same image. And when you, th those actually are the most risky positions right. these days is to go into the old school vanilla thing that can be copied by software. Precisely my point. Just said a lot more beautifully than I could say it. <laughs> that's, and you know, so well from your world, what kind of investments are you chasing? Like 
you're looking for ones that replace these obvious things. And those are the same things that all the people who care deeply about you are steering you toward because they don't know any better and they want you to be safe and it is predictable. And for the same reasons that it's predictable, it also is a blueprint. And, and then there we are, you know, the, we're chasing our tail and pretty soon we're out of a job. And I think it's fascinating to look at. So Jack Ma, founder of Alibaba, you know, arguably one of the most sort of data centric, you know, heavy lifting companies out there. If he gave a speech at the world economic forum last year and someone asked him about what are, what, what is he teaching his kids? He's like, my kids, Co computers. No, 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 no. My kids aren't like computers. Computers are teaching computers how to do stuff. My kids art activity, human connection, mm -hmm. communication, all mm -hmm. things. And I think he said it in, in a more beautiful way than I did, but anything that a machine can't do, that's what I'm teaching my kids. Yes. And so like, if you look at through the lens of what you just eloquently said, you know, layer on the, the Jack Ma quote from the world economic forum. And all of a sudden the thing that you're, the things that you're being suggested that by pop culture, and we won't put it on any one person, whether it's your parents or whatever, just on pop culture, it you suddenly can see that in a lens to which it really is, which is, I would just maybe put it this way. It is the riskiest time in human history to play it safe. hundred percent agree. What is the alternative of that? It is being unapologetically you. It is pursuing that calling that you have inside of you that is uniquely you and will help you stand out. Not in a in a way of like a tall poppy syndrome or whatever, but if you can be unapologetically, you listen to what you're truly supposed to be doing. And it doesn't have to start out. It doesn't have to be an overnight process. It's not push all the chips in. It's not um, mortgage this, the house and, and go all in, burn the boats. This is about just taking a step towards it and then taking another one and then another one and go back to compass and map world. You've got this compass, you're following your heart. And I don't have an experience of the following the heart not working out. Or if you deconstruct the lives of the most successful people and let's make sure to continually add fulfilled to that because success without fulfillment is horror, right? So the most fulfilled people, I go back to that guy making coffee in Japan. So simple, but so yeah. aligned in integrity with who he is. And trusting that we're not taught to trust it. So I understand why we get in this pickle that we're in, but that's again, the, the message of the book, there's a bunch of, you know, really crisply outlined strategies for how to approach that because we aren't really given, you know, an approach for this. This sounds radical until you break it down as we have here. Yeah, it's right. actually, it makes a ton of sense. Creativity is not this whimsical, naive thing. It's, like the most fundamental building block we have is the ability to make decisions that are in line with who we actually want to be and then manifest those in the world. It's actually the defensibility of, of what you're creating as well. I mean, it's the reason why that man in Japan would never go out of business if a Starbucks opened up across yeah. the street because he stands out. He has the creativity, the unique take, the you know, being unapologetically his own person and self. I mean, it's, it's, it's all there and, and that makes him defensible. You know, at the end of the day, it really is, is this, it's, it's choosing these things, choosing creativity. It's ultimately refusing to betray yourself. And, you know, if you think about just a super quick story, my second grade teacher, I used to be just like any second grade kid, did all kinds of stuff. I used to make movies in the summertime and I, I, I had a comic strip that I distributed to my second grade class. I used to do magic tricks, stand-up comedy, parent-student teacher conference, second grade, like, you know, the first third of the semester you're in there. I overheard Miss Kelly, my second grade teacher, tell my mom, Chase is so much better at sports than he is at art. And what do you think that would affect? Do you think that had on me? Yeah. Typically you'd think like, oh my God, what a crushing little blow for an eight-year-old kid. You know what? I didn't actually give a shit. I was just like, oh, but I'm better at sports. Okay. I'm doing that. <laughs> and it's like, I've only, I only came to realize later after I mentioned, you know, that my person very close to me had died and I got his cameras that I was able to kind of come full circle. But that is just one example. And we all have those examples in our lives. Someone telling us something or, and it, to be clear, it, 
it did provide all the benefits of that my uh, second grade teacher thought. I ended up going to college on a soccer scholarship, played for the Olympic development team, et cetera, et cetera. But I did deny myself. It also cost me years and decades of my life as a young person. It cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans pursuing the, the path that everybody else wanted for me. There's nothing worse than a business book that lays it all out perfectly and tells you step A, step B, step C. I'm not trying to do that. My, my life and this story in the book and all the other people were imperfect and we've got the warts and all hand grenades in the middle of your life experiences. But ultimately, every person that has found this fulfillment, they chose to do something about it rather than betray themselves. And for me, it was rather than betray that eight-year-old self that knew that I could do whatever it is that I wanted and get programmed and beaten down over time. I just really woke up one day and said, I'm refusing to do this anymore. I love that. I, I, and I love that this book is helping or will help more people wake up. You know, it's, it's kind of like, I just feel so bad for, I know there's so many people out there that are just like, have this idea in the back of their head, like, oh gosh, if I kind of have this passion, but no, I could never do that. And I, you know, I just, I worry that it is like going to be what you said. You're going to be 75, 85 years old sitting on your deathbed and thinking like, I did nothing. I did nothing that I really wanted to do. You know, I didn't, I didn't really pursue those things, those passions and it's too late. And I just, I, I, it's having done that. And finally that, that's that, that kind of, you know, I worked for the, the government initially when I first got out of school and I was on that, that track of just being a kind of a corporate, you know, uh, there was a clear path for advancement and, and something got me out of it to where I was like, huh, I'm just going to go build something. And I, I, I really I am excited for this to encourage that same process and more people. So I'm excited for this book to come out. Thank you. And I do think it, I'll just tell you, it was a trip to write a book about creativity and, and again, not a snobby, like beret. This is like ruthlessly practical and contemporary setting and how, and, but you could also imagine like doing something as creative as writing a book, which took me super long time. How many times I got stumped, how many times I, and just to be clear, I had to just like take my own medicine, go back 30 pages, read what I had written like four weeks ago and like, Oh, that's how to do it. So like, if that's anything, like the fact that the book actually exists in the world is in some ways proof that what I've put in there works at the most fundamental level. You know, again, we're all creative. If you can start to believe that, which is not a stretch, it makes sense that that creativity is a muscle and the more you use it, the stronger you get. And if you have that strong creative muscle and you can start to, to take agency over your life and shape it at first in very small ways, it, it's in shaping it in very small daily ways that you understand that you can literally do whatever you want. I love it. Uh, you know, you just got me the book a few days ago, some about, I don't know, maybe a third of the way through it. And it's been, it's been great so far. And I know that I was looking at the back cover before our interview and you got Benet Brown and Richard Branson to give you quotes for the back of your cover. So you already, you have some pretty awesome people that, uh, that agree with you and think it's an, a, a great book. Um, when can people pick this up? By the time this drops, it's in the marketplace. If you order it, it will be at your house in a matter of days. There's a cool thing that we're doing for people who do buy right away or, or what's called pre-order. Pre-orders means you're getting it before launch day. And, and usually, again, when this drops, that will be just in a couple of days. Um, where it can be sitting on your doorstep from your favorite online bookseller. If you go to creativelive.com, which is the, the platform that I co-founded in, which Kevin, you were through your former life at Google are an investor. That's right. If you go there, we're doing a special, a special class. that's going to have some crazy world-class guests. So go to creativelive.com slash creative calling, upload your receipt, and then you get access to the special thing. So there's a couple of little cool, cool things. So in short, anywhere books are sold and uh, I'd love to have, have you have a copy of it. I think it's a compass for a good life. When does uh, the audible come out? Mm, I think it's the same day. It's the 24th. Oh, sweet. Awesome. <laughs> I did my own stunts. Amazing. Oh, <laughs> I do I've heard that is a pain in the ass. Daria did her own audiobook, and and she was just like, it's, it's stressful. And I, I love Daria's book, by the way. Please say hi to her. It's been a little while since I've seen her. It's so true. 
what she said is true. It is grueling. I think it took me uh, four days of 10 hours a day reading to nail it. Wow. <laughs> and the book's not that long, obviously. That's just because there's a million mistakes in there. And I'm not a professional audio person, but I also wouldn't have it any other way. I, I had, to, had to do my own stunts. And I'm yeah. super, super glad that I did. Um, I just heard the first version of it uh, a couple of days ago, and I'm really happy. Awesome. Well, Chase, thank you so much for being on the show. As always, love chatting with you. And you've been certainly a huge inspiration of mine. And I'm definitely going to going to finish this book because I, as I was reading through it, um, there's always something to learn here, no matter how like, you know, creative or, you know, it, there's, I was picking up little tidbits as I was going. So it's awesome. Well, man, you've been an inspiration to me for so long. And I think that your audience, if obviously they pay attention to you and what you do because of who you are and the life you've lived and what you stand for, your values, and you like, without having read the book, you are living the book or only having read a third of it. And to me, that is, that's something to aspire to just to watch all the different ways that you've manifested amazing stuff to happen for you. As you said, half of the things that you're well known for don't even exist in the world. And yet we've forgotten about that because you're a trailblazer in so many ways. So the book was really modeled after you and a bunch of our friends finding a way to make, make an extraordinary life and do it on a very, very small tactical day-to-day basis that's accessible to all of us. Yeah. I love that about the book because I feel like a lot of, you hinted a few times, a lot of these creative books are like kind of, you know, pie in the sky and there's not really, you know, there's not really anything that's, that's real and tactical that you can wrap your head around on how to kind of like go down this path. And I feel like this is finally one of those books that, that isn't, just a lot of fluff, but actually, you know, real process. So it's, it's cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate being on the show. Love, love what you do. And I can't wait to uh, uh, hook up with you in Portland, not too distant future here, but looking forward to it. Let's do it. Let's do a book signing out here. I'd love to come out for that and we'll grab some proper Portland beers and, and hang. <laughs> looking forward to it, man. Thanks again for having me on the show. All right. That about wraps it up. But uh, Hey, before you bounce two quick things, um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. Um, and I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing and what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. Um, so let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. Uh, that's thing one. Thing two, um, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work. Um, but please go check out, I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, um, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed, hardcore, badass uh, people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. Um, so check that out. They're just slash Creative Live or at Creative Live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow, I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.